0: Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray with you for another late week recording, but one that has been worth the wait as we break down a fascinating US Women's Open from Olympic Club, this time from a perspective we see far too little of. The 76th staging of the biggest event in women's golf continued one tradition, conspiring to ensure favourites don't win, That it seems, but it did break with some others, courtesy of a volunteer grounds crew that was made up of almost 50%. Women, among their number was Minnesota-based golf course architect Carrie Haug, who will join us in just a moment to talk about the initiative, the week, and golf course architecture more broadly. However, before we meet Carrie, let me bring in my co-conspirator on this weekly adventure, Adrian Loglog. I am particularly looking forward to hearing you lock horns with Carrie over the preparation of the rough at Olympic. I know this is an almost unhealthy obsession with you, and I'm looking forward to the chat. The, the USGA just do it to us every time with winged foot,
1: people think, out there raking the rough, blow-drying the rough. You, co- think,
0: it, you think it's it. personal? Are you into the conspiracy theories too? The 5G and the towers? <laughs> Are you going that way? Uh, well, Gil
1: Hance is going to be uh, doing some renovations on uh, uh, Olympic, I think. So, maybe there's a common there's a common okay. thing there with Gil Hance as well. All right. You're, you're starting to put the pieces together. Now, I've got an issue with the way the USGA present. their showcase event to the world with the rough,
0: but we'll get into that. We'll have a diplomatic and uh, engaging conversation about that. Time to meet today's guest, who's been waiting patiently on the digital blower through all of that. Now, normally what I do is a little bit of online research. I write a short bio of our guest before introducing him, but today we're going to part with tradition because while doing that research, and I use that term loosely, (laughs) I stumbled across the factoid section of Kari's website. Here's a little taste of what I found, he says, looking for it. You'll have to put this in the show notes. I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, learned to play golf on sand greens. which is interesting. Moved to Scotland to learn how, how to design golf courses. My first putter was a Wilson 8802, and I still have it. Nice. So, I'm in now. Nice. Now, you've yeah. got me. this uh, well, there's one, another one here that was fantastic. A licensed commercial drummer. Favourite golf course is North Berwick. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say your job is to design with nature to create a challenging game on a grand scale that is fun for everyone? Now, I like that, but here's the thing: dream job to, z- to design a multi-user, multifunctional community golf course with trail activities like birding, equestrian paths, mono trail bike or ski paths, and this is wait for this or even canoe canals Ooh, okay. incorporated into the design. Near a beach would be icing on the cake. Carrie Hag, are you married? This is outstanding. <laughs> Yes, I am. Congratulations on that. Thanks for taking the time. Welcome to the show. You've touched on a bunch of points in your factoids there that we will come to later. You're really sort of speaking to some issues that we do talk about here. But let's start with the U.S. Women's Open at Olympic. Tell us a little bit about this program, this Women in Golf volunteer program that they ran uh, for the course staff there at Olympic. It must have been very exciting as a golf fan to be front and center to what was an epic event, it must be said also.
2: Yes. Yes, it was great. And first of all, let me thank you, uh, Rod and Adrian, for inviting me on your show. I appreciate the invite.
0: You say that now, Kari. Let's, let, let's see <laughs> how well, you – t-
2: I listen to a bit of what you guys do, so
0: <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm prepared to give it back a little bit.
0: <laughs> we've been road tested. Yep. Good stuff. Tell us about the week at Olympic. What was the program about? I read a story on it uh, online that Adrian sent me a link to. I wasn't aware of it previously. What was all that about? Troy Flanagan, the course, super there at Olympic, seems to have been behind it. Uh, what was the thinking there, and how did it, how did it unfold for you the week?
2: Well, uh, evidently, Troy had been thinking about this for about four years uh, what he was going to do to um, work on inclusivity and particularly in- including women on his grounds crew. And uh, so he uh, ended up getting in contact with Kimberly Gard from Syngenta and uh, uh, Stuart uh, Hackwell from Rainbird. And uh, I, I think it was mostly Kimberly and, and uh, Troy. That put the program together and started reaching out and inviting uh, women, golf course superintendents, and people from the industry industry like me from across the United States. Hmm. And I, th- I think some Canadians were invited too, but they weren't able to travel.
0: So. Covid's made everything a bit of a nightmare, hasn't it? Right, of- exactly. Often we see this stuff, Kari, and the truth is, it's a bit of a box-ticking exercise. So we should be seen to be doing something. This didn't feel like that to me.
2: No, this was not a box-ticking exercise at all. It was a a very moving week, as a matter of fact.
0: Mm, Fantastic. So what did it involve? What did you do? Were you responsible for making the rough unpalatable for our friend Adrian here?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was fortunate enough to uh, escape the rough-fluffing crew. Uh, (laughs) I ended up uh, – I I was on a greens mowing team. So uh, as a matter of fact, the night before – uh, championship day before Sunday, uh, I was able to uh, participate on the mowing team that mowed the 18th green. So
0: You mowed the 18th green?
2: I didn't myself push the mower. Oh, I
0: was going to say. <laughs> <my> goodness. Uh, <laughs> just uh, letting people come but, in from all over the place did, and start mowing. We
2: did hay. have uh, responsibilities to yeah. protect the collars and
0: yeah. that Fantastic stuff. Aside from the being on the ground and the learning of the golf, all of which would have been interesting in itself, what was the, you mentioned, you said the sort of word there before it was moving, sort of powerful. Tell me about the, sort of the, the mood and the attitude and what all this sort of means or meant.
2: There, oh, there were uh, moments throughout the week that uh, uh, the culture of inclusion uh, came up and uh, just so many, so many moments. Uh, I met one of the Olympic Club members. Uh, Tom Shea, who talked about uh, his uncle being one of the, well, the first Asian accepted to the uh, Olympic Club about 30 years ago. And that conversation kind of morphed into a discussion about uh, when women were accepted as members in the early 90s. Uh, and there were moments uh, with our largely uh, Hispanic and Salvadoran crew, um, uh, Mexican and Salvadoran crew, uh, just Moments of their stories, them, them telling stories. There was a guy that that got his uh, United States citizenship that during the week, right. so that was announced. So just so many moments of um, really uh, uh, emotional moments. Actually, yeah.
1: there were a number of scheduled speakers, as I understand it, as well, Kari. What was what was the topics that were talked about there? Were they about? turf or were they about telling people stories or what What was going there were, on? There
2: were uh, uh, a few speakers that, uh, well, I, I kind of kicked it off with a orientation to the golf course um, based on information that I got from Troy Flanagan and uh, also a little bit of, of the analysis that I did on the topography and bunkers and whatnot on on the golf course um, and climate and wind and etc. cetera. Um, then uh, we had uh, a diversity and inclusivity talk from Brandon Bell from Syngenta. Uh, we had women's leadership discussions. Uh, everybody started getting really, really, really tired toward uh, about midweek because uh, we, we were getting up at, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, catching the bus over to the course, doing morning duties to prepare the course. Taking a little bit of a break, uh, for, for meals and whatnot, but then doing education and then going back to, uh, maintaining the course starting at, you know, five, six o'clock at night and working till 10 at night Mm. and then going back to the hotel and doing it all over again. So it was like a rinse and repeat. And by uh, about midweek, uh, people were getting pretty tired, but, uh, we pushed
0: out. It's no small undertaking preparing a golf course for a tournament, let alone a major, is it? I'm not sure if people or fans necessarily understand just what's involved. I think those photos we see each time of the mowers going out with their headlights on in the dark, they kind of wash over us. But the reality of that, they're long days, aren't they? 15, 16 hours a lot of the time on course the whole day. They were
2: very long days. And and I was uh, really uh, shocked and surprised at the level of precision and uh, detail uh, that was given to the golf course.
1: But. you You weren't just like sitting back watching the golf, having having burger dogs. <laughs> like, how, how many burger dogs I, did you have for the week? Was
2: I only it- had one one burger dog. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, to be honest, I barely w- had time to watch any golf. so uh, that that was the one thing I, I wish that we would have had more time to to watch the play. Yeah. Just
1: just staying with the burger dog for a moment. <laughs> 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 was it was it basically like a long burger?
2: Yeah, it's like it's like a, a hamburger shaped like a hot dog, and it's putting. It, I think it's for distinct. ease of eating when you're, you know, you're playing golf. You don't want a big messy burger.
1: Well, so. I actually have a bit of burger dog trivia. <laughs> Good <laughs> <Lord>. Bill, Bill, <laughs> who started up that trailer, uh, used to sell hot dogs and burgers, but he just wanted to buy the one type of bun. So he adapted <laughs> the, <laughs> the burger patty to fit the it's hot just dog. Just a bun. straight
0: enterprise scale decision, exactly.
1: It's it's just a pragmatic thing. A little bit of uh, A
0: dog, you, where did you pick that up? dog you, trivia for you. Where did you pick that up from? You've been deep into the Olympic <laughs> club <laughs> in preparation for the uh, seventy six US Women's Open. Speaking of the golf, car, we, we know that you're a golf fan and you tell us so on your website as well. What did you get to see? What was the highlight of the week? Did you get to meet any of the players or interact with them at all? They often do come down to the maintenance sheds, I know, uh, on Sunday, particularly the winner, and they'll come down and sort of say thank you to everybody for their work there. Did you have any opportunities to interact at all with any of the field?
2: you know uh no i uh-huh. didn't <laughs> that 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 probably would be another uh <clears throat> disappointment from the week that that we didn't get to meet it anybody did, yeah. at least i didn't yeah. so, somebody may have yeah, you- actually we had a, a young uh 17 year old uh, gal that had just graduated from high school and she she i think she was able to collect a few uh signatures so
0: hmm. she, she might have been able to collaborate with me on her calculus she well. did a calculus exam due on the Friday, I think. The mm. teacher went on Twitter and gave it a day off, if I recall. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, she's yeah. a junior in high school, so. Yes, yeah, so the teacher went and said and tweeted, I'm Megan's teacher and I'm officially giving her uh, an extension on her calculus project. Okay. Whatever it was, that got picked up and retweeted. Mm. A good place. journalist would Wasn't follow that. that an up.
2: amazing performance.
0: Oh, yeah. That's beyond staggering, Ari, To be honest, seventeen yeah. years old—I mean, yeah. to be able to play golf like that at seventeen is extraordinary. To then be able to take that and do it on that stage and maintain it for four days is just beyond extraordinary. Incredible. But
1: and the way she presented herself to the oh. the press and everything, she was incredible, like mature,
0: way beyond her years. It was well, we, quite amazing. We talk about this sometimes, Carrie, but there are players who have it, and I think she has it. And it is indescribable, but it's everything else outside of the ability to hit the golf shots as well as the ability to hit the golf shots. And when you've got it, you've got superstar. And she's got superstar written all over. Should she want to. That's not to put any problem with it. I mean, there's a long way to
1: go. Of course there is. There's no guarantees. But one thing I took away from that and from her performance is that I I probably am aware of as many women college golfers as I am men college golfers. But at some point that that dissipates Mm -hmm. and the focus becomes – young men professionals and and you the, these women college golf stars tend to fade away. but right now I look down that US Open leaderboard for the amateurs and I recognized all the names I, I think partly because of the the Augusta women's <coughs> thing but um, where you actually get to see them play uh, but yeah I just thought that was interesting the, the games somewhat there's a little bit of equality there. Um, through college, but it just dissipates as soon as they...
0: You've plugged into something bigger there. Let's ask Carrie. What are your sort of thoughts on that, Carrie? Do women college golfers fade away or do we stop taking notice of them?
2: I think we stop taking notice of them. That's I think the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur is going to be a incredible launching pad for uh, the next generation of women golfers, uh, as well as uh, I think Any- Anika's programs, uh, where she has Anika's graduates from the Anika Foundation programs and
0: because she's uh, in Sweden this week with the mixed event that they're having right. over there uh, with uh, Henrik Stenson and uh, Meg Meg McLaren's written something about that which I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I'll be interested to see Meg's taking it because she's thoughtful. Where are we with all this stuff, Carrie? I mean, more broadly, let's plug all this into the broader world. The consensus seems to be engulfed that, <clears throat> in terms of equality, particular gender gender equality, we're slowly moving in the right direction, but we've got a long way to go. Is that the sense that you get? And if it is. How do we accelerate some of this stuff? Ooh, good question. Because you're in architecture, um, of course, and of all the <laughs> the corners of golf where we're lacking diversity of gender, especially golf course architecture, could be at the top of that list.
2: Oh, well, I, th- I think you guys are, are starting uh, uh, the effort to accelerate uh, movement towards more gender equity in the sport because. What, what we need is a representation of women in the media. And so what you're doing just by hosting this podcast, inviting people like Carrie Webb, myself, um, and the other women that you've had on, uh, you know, that, that's where it starts. Uh, the media is, is what forms the social picture and, uh, representation in the media is incredibly important. I think that's how we accelerate it. That being said, I think that this is going to be a long process. It's going to be the tortoise beats the hare because uh, nothing's going to happen really fast and it's going to have to be sustained over a long period of time in order to get this culture to change. The culture is incredibly resilient. It wants to go back to where it was and uh, we need to move on from a very traditional uh, closed culture or insular culture of golf to a more open, progressive, and uh, modern culture.
0: Mm. Some of the things you talk about with your design philosophies, I think, speak directly to that in a broader sense with golf and the the cultural aspects of it, as you say, are quite right. There's a long history here, Logue. How long before we finally get upended from these seats? And there are two women sitting here hosting their golf
2: podcasts.
0: (laughs) And I mean that in all seriousness.
1: Well, there are uh, all-female-hosted women podcasts out there, they're just not getting very high profile, unfortunately. So, but I'd look I you know, encourage women who, who have an interest in this to, you know, don't be, don't be thinking you have to study up or, or prepare yourself in some way well, before you can take this step. Yeah. <laughs> we're just a couple of idiots who <laughs> stick course. a microphone in front of us and, uh, you, you can just get out there and do it. So I, I just think that's, um, Uh, I try and just encourage women to get out there and do it, um, and and see what happens. And don't be discouraged about initial uh, bad results. We we get terrible. (laughs) We got some terrible uh, outcomes for our podcast at first, but you know, um, I don't. There's get out there and do it, and go out and seek
0: some content from women as well because it is there. Mm -hmm. So social media, and I put podcasting in the social media thing, Kari. Extraordinarily democratic, isn't it, which is both good and bad. Any lunatic with any view can get on social media and espouse it, as can anybody with a good, noble, and sensible and interesting message. You've got a website there, obviously. What role do you see that playing as we're moving forward? I think 2005 you started your design firm. What's changed in that time in terms of the way you work, the communications that you have with people, being able to have a website to direct people to, for examples of work? How does that all plug into some of these bigger issues?
2: Uh, I I think social media is probably one of the great equalizers for for women because uh, our voice isn't controlled by uh, the male-dominated media. So I I think social media and websites and uh, Twitter and all these different uh, channels of communication uh, are probably going to open the door for
1: for women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about podcasts is there's no big corporation controlling it. You can not yet. An, an, anybody? No, <laughs> not, not yet. They're trying. It's, it's happening.
2: Anybody can do it.
1: Yeah, but yeah, literally in, anybody in effect, can. Literally anybody can do it. Exhibit a, um, and you know there, like I said, there is a lot of great content. There. Kari, you yourself have an excellent blog. Um, with uh, there's only sadly, there's only a couple of articles. I'd like you to start writing a little bit more, please.
0: <laughs> He's fantastic at this, is like he turns up here every week with a list of things for me to put in the show notes and suggestions oh, yeah. on how long it should take me to edit the show, but he's a, on to you. A couple of uh, we'll put some links in the show notes to,
1: <laughs> to Ari's blog. Of course we will, yes. Yeah. Um uh but yeah one so one of these articles look a lot of the topic and it seems like a lot of your consulting is helping clubs with their strategy for women's golf. Is that a compromise that you had to make um being a woman in golf course architecture or is it is it something that uh, you're deliberately targeting as, as a strategy for your business?
2: Uh, well, that's an, that's an interesting question because when I first went to school for golf course architecture um, over in Scotland, which was at the Edinburgh College of Art at the time, um, I you know I, I had visions in my head of designing these championship golf courses and yada, yada. And, and uh, as I started really learning about how horses were designed, which is basically from a, a male perspective, I realized quite quickly that golf courses don't set up properly for the female golfer. And uh, that became my passion and I, nobody had to twist my arm to do it or anything like that. I just, I just really thought it was a very important um, thing to bring to the game. And so I started pursuing uh, you know, how do we design these golf courses better for women and just studying up on my own and coming up with some of my own theories and ways of doing things and hopefully hopefully, they become the norm in the future, not just the uh, exception to the rule.
0: We've often made the accusation, I think quite rightly, that for a long, long, long time, women's tees, quote unquote, were an afterthought in golf to put them somewhere right. a bit further up there. Is that true? And it's I not just it's women, fair. is it? It's shorter, isn't it? Juniors, older players, people who don't carry the ball as far in the air as perhaps either they used to or uh, as yet don't do. This, The first thing we need to do is stop delineating between women's and men's tees. And I think yes. we've started that with the World Handicap System yeah. and some other things. There's bucket loads of and women out tea there. tee colours and things. All those sorts of things. But then this notion of forward tees as part of the golf course design and golf course architecture and their importance. Talk a little bit about that because I, I do think that – we're obsessed, and this is probably partly to do with male culture, you know, we just love everything that we can bash and the harder you can hit it, the better, and this is sort of the obsession. The interest you can create and and why that's important for golf, to be inclusive of women, shorter hitters, older players, juniors, in a way where the game is at least as interesting as it is from the design tees for the championship yardage.
2: Right. Well, you know, when the course doesn't sit up, set up properly for the shorter hitter, it doesn't play properly for the shorter hitter and it's not as fun. So, I mean, if we're looking at, uh, improving, um, you know, reducing the difficulty of the game and making it more enjoyable for people to play, I think we do have to, to pay much closer attention to what happens with the forward teeth and, and how the courses designed from the forward tees as well as how it's designed from the back yeah.
1: tees. And th- that sorry, that fits in with things like where the hazards are placed. And, exactly. You know, so, uh, someone hitting off the forward tees who doesn't hit the ball as far uh, is potentially playing, a mu- getting a much more bland experience Oh, that Rod, turn your phone off. Rod. I'll take it easy. <laughs> that's, so, um, so yeah, somebody playing off four tees with uh, who's not hitting the ball far might might be getting a much more bland experience because so, the hazards just aren't placed for them.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely correct. Um, yeah, I mean, the, probably the most important. I mean, we always start with length of the course, but then we also look at the location of the tee. But you know, it's important. What are the hitting angles off of those tees? What's the elevation of that tee? Can you see the hazards ahead? You know, women aren't as tall as men. So uh, can, can you see, you know, the landing areas? Can you see where you're trying to hit the ball from where you're hitting? And often, you know, tees step down the hill. So you have women hitting from the bottom of a hill, you know, maybe straight into a hill ahead of them. Their uh, launch trajectory is different. The shot shape is a little bit different for the slower swing speed. And uh, we have to pay attention to that. And we, we can influence uh, the shot shape based on, you know, whether or not the, you know, what the land form of the T, you know, do we uh, elevate the front of the T so we have a little bit of a launch pad? Do we tilt it right to left or left to right? You know, and we, we can influence the shot based on, on how we design it. And, and, the landing area as well you know if the landing area isn't in a spot where it's not receptive to the shot uh we can end up shunting the ball off into long rough and we you know we don't want to do that we want to give the shorter hitter um actually just as much of a a fun, playable golf course as the longer hitter.
0: Kari's taunting you with that long, rough comment, but we're, gonna, we'll, we're going we'll to – We'll get there. Don't worry. We'll come is, back to There's that. no puff piece, Kari. That's exactly right. <laughs> Does Lynx Golf do a better job of that? You went to Scotland I, to learn about yeah, course th- design?
2: I think so, and, and maybe that's where I, I picked up a little bit of the philosophy on the ground game because uh, I think Lynx Golf is, is very fun and uh, – the, the ground game makes it a lot more interesting. Of course, you know, they do it sometimes for, uh, because of the wind conditions, but, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of hit it straight ahead and then hit it onto the green and then you got your two putts. I, th- I think that, that we can be a lot more creative with, with the design if, if we give strategic options and different pathways for play.
0: It's a very simplistic form of the game, isn't it? The, we call it sort of tr- <laughs> track man golf here where, you know, you can, dial in, if you have got good technique and the equipment allows it, you can dial in a golf ball that does this and then that and it's all very predictable and right. that can allow you to score very well, but it ignores so much of what makes golf so much fun and the ground game, the biggest change in golf really has been that it's gone from being a ground game to an aerial game over time right? A- and right. that's what's changed it beyond almost all recognition I think in some senses.
2: Well, I hope we can bring it back to the ground mm. game because I, I think it's it's a lot more fun actually. It's more it's democratic, great.
1: apart from anything, too, isn't it? It's- as Brad Klein said, golf course architecture is what the ball does when it's on the ground. When it's on the ground. Oh, you listened to that podcast? Yeah, great. It's oh, he said that on our podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, he's but, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Kari, I want to get back to something you said there. Were you suggesting that you could, you should, you sometimes consider tilting the tee to affect the shot shape?
2: Well, not much. I mean, you know, we don't want the tees to be you know, with, at extreme angles at all. I mean, we just want them to drain. But let's not drain them off the front, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's not have our 1 one to 1.5% one rolling off the front. Let's maybe for the shorter hitter, let's let's uh, send it off the back so that uh, the front of the tee is maybe tilted up to accentuate right. the launch angle for a shorter hitter.
1: I'll never forget you know? the first at Portmanic slopes up. The T on the humble, first tip. Humble brag there, Kari. <laughs> I don't want you to miss that, yeah. <laughs> but it's almost impossible to hit What does the second hole do, It slopes up quite a lot, <laughs> yes. and, and it's almost impossible to hit it into the wind there. Chambers Bay did the same thing. Did well, Chambers, Chambers Bay is fantastic. There's, there's a bit of right to left and left to right. Yeah, and you can look for a lie. I yeah. do this all the time. <laughs> Sydney got <laughs> Sydney courses because none of the T's are level. And uh, you can you can look for a lie which lets you hit a shot shape. Mm. Um you know, and I always play a little bit better when the ball's above my feet. It just gets me on plane better. And, uh, yeah. But
2: yeah, I, I mean, if you have a slower swing speed and your your shot is already biased to uh, a low trajectory and off to the right for a right-handed player, you know, why would you accentuate that by having a, a tee that downslips the front? Let's, let's change it a little bit. We so, missed- so, I mean, that's just one example of how we can influence um, – the game for the shorter hitter. You can give them landing areas that are just in flyover zones for for the long hitters.
0: Yeah, and there's no re- there's no re- it's like the difference between making good coffee and bad coffee. There's no difference or difference in expense in actually just building that into the thing at the, at the beginning. Right. So it mm-hmm. makes some sense. W- one of the things that we often talk about on here, Carrie, is the loss of the F word from golf. Fun, a fair fun, and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's replaced with it's big. been been replaced with fair. Do you see that? Do you sense that? And do you sense this move back to a more adventurous form of the game? There's so many people who campaign for this fairness, the, the drop out of the divot and the, you know, the rough has to be complete. The, the, the bunkers have got to be raked this way and the rough has to be completely manicured and all of this sort of height and the greens all have to run at the same speed. This was never golf a hundred years ago. It was in fact. Anti everything that was goal for 100 years ago. And we've slowly but surely chipped away at all the adventurous parts of the game to the game's detriment, I think.
2: Well, I'm, I'm always one for a good adventure. And uh, I, I do think that if we return to uh, some of the ground game, I, I think we'll see that.
0: Sporty is the word we're looking for. You know,
2: the, the ball that maybe <clears throat> disappears on a Brits green and then shows up on the back, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a punch bowl green. You know, you come over the hill and you find your ball. Uh, in, in a really sweet spot,
0: you know. When you and went the to
2: Scotland, the, the, the agony of defeat, maybe in some cases, but the thrill of victory in others.
0: When you went to Scotland, was this a revelation to you? This is where it happened to me. I went to Scotland in 1997, and Sydney golf and golf in Scotland couldn't be further apart. And it was a revelation and a light bulb. And golf changed for me in every imaginable way, having seen Lynx golf firsthand and some of the elements we're talking about. Was that the same for you coming from? Minnesota or were you already up to speed with these sort of concepts and ideas and had been exposed to some of that?
2: Not at all. I had probably never been exposed to to the type of golf that I played in Scotland and it it was a revelation. It was eye-opening. It was on the recommendation of Tom Doak actually that I went over there. Uh, I had interviewed with Tom for an internship and luckily or not so luckily i d- i didn't get the the internship but he did give me some advice to m- move to scotland and study golf over there and that's
1: what i ended up doing Good. and and i think you just described the 16th and 17th at north berwick with the Ritz green and then a punch bowl green uh, tell us a little bit about your how you you know experienced north berwick and and what you love about that place
2: uh, every hole is different the, the routing uh, is completely uh, memorable. Uh, it's a beautiful routing. It's a loose figure of eight out and back, and uh, just every every hole is is memorable in some way and different in some way. And uh, I, I I think that's probably why I enjoy it so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's talk about golf and community, Kari, uh, which I think is another thing that certainly I've took away from Scotland. Golf plays a very different role in those golf towns in Scotland, doesn't it? We don't, we haven't recreated that. It seems to me almost anywhere else in the world. Golf courses are closed off. They're fenced off. They tend to be over there somewhere in the suburbs, certainly here in Australia. And I suspect the same is true in America. Golf hasn't made an effort to sort of weave itself into the fabric of local communities. We pay a price for that, don't we? In golf. And there's some real reward to be reaped. Should we change our the way we go about that. We see here in Sydney with Moore Park, which we've talked about on here, public golf under threat. When the rest of the community feels excluded, golf makes itself a very easy target to be removed from the public's sort of sphere, doesn't it? Well,
2: I think you make some excellent points and I would completely agree with that. Hmm. Uh, I think once we start integrating golf courses as a an important part of the social fabric and of, of the urban fabric in, in the cities. I think we'll start to see a a greater acceptance of golf as a, you know, from, from municipalities. So far, I've, I've run into some resistance, uh, in, you know, trying to connect these golf courses to the wider community. And, um, I'm not quite sure where that comes
0: from. Resistance from golf or resistance from the non-golf community?
2: Uh, resistance from the non-golf community. I think they have an incorrect perception of golf, and I think we need to change that.
0: It's one that we manifest, though, isn't it? We talk about this all the time. Yeah, well, I think there's probably resistance on both
1: sides of the the Mm. fence, the virtual golf fence. I think virtual about it, my friend. (laughs) Golfers, yeah, I mean, the golfers, and we can get back to Olympic with that, but uh, golfers think uh, they're going to kill non-golfers with their balls flying about everywhere. Yeah. and and non golfers gonna be wandering all over the fairways doing the wrong thing and, you know, setting up a picnic in the middle of the fairway or something like that. And clearly we know it's, it's gonna yeah, be on the It's, table. it's hard for golf it's right. Golfers I think find it just hard to visualize how is it gonna work. Like I, I can yeah. spray this ball all over the place. How is this gonna work? Um and non golfers just I think find the whole place incredibly intimidating. Yeah. Partly because of that of that vibe that they're getting from golfers. That they don't speak
0: the language. Yeah. Um, no, they don't and understand any of the forms of the game.
1: The moment you step foot on a on the property, you, you're immediately thinking you're doing the wrong thing. Well, you're Somehow you're breaking some rule. Well, you're being you told know, there's, you're breaking, there's rules. You're it breaking rules all over the place. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I think that's where you get- That's just too much trouble for a non-golfer. Yeah, so, would you bother? I think opening things up, uh, you know, uh, uh, Harley Cruz, who's- you know, regular on the podcast. Friend of the pod, I think is the term <laughs> they use on the, the cool kids. He, he has a great term where he talked about for more park, making the course more permeable. Yeah. And, and just finding ways that, that bring people into it and finding pathways through the course. So, and, and the issue with more park or part of the issue is those, those people on one side of the course in big built up apartments can't get across to the actual parkland. That's across the other side of the course. Never mind. There is quite a lot of other parkland that is directly accessible from those apartments. But nonetheless, the you know if you need to if go only
0: there was a government authority that could do something about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, like that that
1: concept of making the course more permeable and some of these suggestions that you read out earlier, Rod, uh, from Kari's website with um, you know various activities. The only thing missing there was flying fox. I, I, <laughs> Was, <laughs>
0: Staples was flying from yeah, the zi-
1: zip lines. Yeah, zip We'd line. love to see some zip lines go across, you know. If there's a little bit of elevation change, that's a perfect yeah. opportunity for a zip line. But uh yeah, you know, that I do think things like that, getting people into the golf course in a way that gets through that threshold of non-golfers feeling like it's an intimidating place where they're breaking rules. Just get them into the property and then see well, where we go from. I,
2: I think I think the key to, to doing that, and I, I like the concept of permeability, but I think the key to uh, making these multifunctional sites is finding activities that are compatible. Mm. And, you know, and some of those, um, activities, uh, are, are more the silent sport type things and, um, things that, that, you know, fit with golf better. You know, we, there, and, and that we can build outside of the safety envelopes of the golf holes. And I, I, Definitely think it's possible. I just think that th- you know people come up with ideas like the zip line. You know, I just don't think that's compatible with golf. <laughs> you know, uh, and I was only half. You know the idea about putting canoe canoes.
0: <laughs> I was about tra- to pick you up on that. If you think zip lines are nuts, tell me how the canoes fit in the canals on the golf course, Gary.
2: Well, you need to to have them outside of the safety envelopes of the golf holes. So they they can't be, you know, you can't be hitting, uh, shots across a, uh, creek that has canoers going by. You know, it's, that's too dangerous. So, so maybe the, maybe it's, you know, your safety margin is wide enough and, uh, the creek is outside of that
0: envelope. Both sides of this discussion seem to suffer from the same misconception, I think, which is that the golf course is only for golf. That's the current conception. Golfers think the golf course should only be for golf and non-golfers think the golf course is only for golf. Change that one perception and you can actually do a bunch of the stuff that you're talking about really fairly simply, I would think. I think so too. Yeah. I agree. Once we've set our minds to it, humans can do, we can fly to the moon. Surely we can share a golf course. (laughs) But <laughs> it really right, is right. – when you think about it, it really can't be that difficult, can it? And,
2: and you know, I mean, programming has to, something to do with it too. You know, seasonality and time of the day and, uh, you know, maybe you share, you know, one day a week is something else.
0: Yeah. You've, you've talked about other- this, haven't you, sharing not just space but time. Yeah, within a day at a golf course, obviously golfers go
1: off early and it's just not right for all golf courses, but some courses, I think it's looking at what holes are near boundary fences and whether you can get paths going through safe areas to get to those holes. And if a first hole is, a you know, it's a big flat open area and everybody's done going off the first by, you know, 4 p.m., 3 p.m., 4, 3.30, something like that. Uh, then, you know, open open that up, let people come in and uh, and then that can spread to the second hole or something. It, it's very course-specific, but looking at the boundary fences of a course and seeing what holes are adjacent to them and, and looking for opportunities like that. The same thing can happen at the start of the day uh, with, you know, some of the later holes on the course. Nobody's out on 17 and 18, but they might be near a boundary fence and if there's a safe pathway that you can open up to get onto the course and, and use those
0: fairways for a few hours in the morning, then so and yoga yep. and some of those other sort of interesting things. Before we move on from this, I want you to tell Kari about your tea party. I don't think she knows it. And who knows? She might be able to get it up up and running in the US.
1: Well, Kari, I'd love to see what you think about the concept of- you know, It's trademarked, by the d- way, Kari. Let, let, <laughs> let me ask you, you know, golf courses have a flat area on every hole. <laughs> flatish, uh, And- it's often
2: unless you're at the Olympics. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it often has a little bit of coarse furniture, and it's often in shade mm. as well, and it's often in the an area which isn't targeted by golfers. It's not like got golf balls going towards it by design. I'm talking, of course, about the back of teings,
0: uh, the back of tee areas. And uh, I feel like that would be a great place for picnics. uh, Adrian's idea is that courses should rent out their tees for this tea party idea where non-golfers can have picnics at the back of the tee whilst the golf is taking place. And you get golfers come through every seven or ten minutes. Built-in entertainment. It's entertainment, yeah. Bit of interaction. What do you
1: reckon about that? Again, it's not for every tee on a course. It's (laughs) for ones where it's near boundary fences and it's definitely safe and you can have access to it from, you know, uh, boundaries. Like so,
0: What do you reckon? Moneymaker or not, Carrey? Tea party.
2: Could be. Mm -hmm. Could be. Right place, right time.
0: I do love the I love the concept of concept. You don't sound outside. quite enthusiastic <laughs> enough for my life. <laughs> uh, I will say this, and I've given this example before. My mum and her friends used to go to the golf club up the road from her for lunch quite often, cause, not because they had any interest in golf, but they would always mm-hmm. ask for a window seat because it overlooked the 12th hole, and uphill par three. You can see the idiots. And on. they loved watching the golfers, and particularly the golfers who would lose their mind when they got a bad bounce or hit a bad shot, and they'd throw clubs and have tantrums. They thought it was fantastic sport and entertainment. Knew nothing about golf, wouldn't know a good shot from a bad. But loved watching the people either celebrating or losing. So there is an entertainment factor to golf, even if you're a non-golfer. I think, and I think your your, your idea's got some merit okay. in a lot of ways, simply because of the what it does there. The, they're bringing people together to see it from both sides. And I'm going to be Adrian. I'll be you
2: might hear my hesitation just because tea <laughs> in the United States is, oh, is a tea, 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 tea party. That, that has been
1: pointed out to me. <laughs> um, I mean, that has been pointed no, out to me by a few
0: people. Find the
2: craft out. brew, craft beer.
0: You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you've got an Naming issue there. That's right. It yep. might be uh, yep. copyrighted. Let's come back to Olympic Club, Kari, and I want to sort of set down the, the flag and let you two go at it. Like, I want you to outline for Kari what your problem is with the U.S. Open rough setup. Everybody else is listening to the podcast is bored with it, but Kari might not have been <laughs> subjected to it yet. And then, Kari, you can give us your, some of your thoughts because there's no guarantee you agree with the way the, US, the USGA sets up courses for a tournament like the U.S. Open. Lots of us don't. Well, I, I would start
1: with some caveats and.
0: Um, <laughs> by backpedalling.
1: Uh, there's some terms and conditions I'd like you right. to opt into before I, I go into this. So, the first point I'd like to make is that um, this takes nothing away from the enormous effort of the green staff and the, all the volunteers involved. and the skill S- and expertise and, and, and not just effort involved in presenting a course- in the way that Olympic was presented last week. It's just phenomenal. And it, it's an amazing achievement. It really is, genuinely. A genuinely amazing achievement. So, taking nothing away from that, the question I have is, should the course be uh, grassed in the way it is at all? Um, like, after you get well away from the playing surfaces, you've still got lines of irrigation, you've got fertilised turf, uh, which requires this manicuring and, and you see these teams of, you know, for these big championships. And, and mind you, these are championships where the USGA has an audience of non golfers. Th- these are some of those appointment well, viewing situations where you get non golfers tuning in and the peak body in golf is presenting a course mm-hmm. saying, this is what golf looks like. And, and then that sets an expectation for green, green staff all around the world to have to, uh, achieve that same look and the look that i object to i think is just that there's manicured fertilized irrigated turf grass all the way to the boundary fences basically it's just this monoculture of grass from fence to fence and uh if you look at olympic um michael wolf um a friend of the podcast posted a photo uh showing olympic with Rough, rough, like, and, and it was just wild grasses. Oh, from way, way, way back. Yeah. From way back from the Jack 1955, mm-hmm. Jack Fleck, um, US Open. So, and, and it looked fantastic and it was a genuine penalty. Um, and the issue I have with the way that's presented in these USGA events is it's not just that it's manicured turf grass that's been maintained and fertilized and irrigated. It's that it's also fluffed in these ways with rakes and blowing and, just making it all pristine to get this perfect look. But the perfect look is absolutely ruined the moment somebody tracks through it or a cart gets driven through it. You go from, you know, 100% perfect look that they've set out to achieve to almost like it it really – it's not just taking away a few percent from that. It goes from being beautiful to being really terrible looking. It's the problem Um, with perfection, isn't it? Anything slightly less is – The moment you track some footprints through it, It's the perfection's gone. So – Again, you've signed into the terms and conditions I set out
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: earlier, Kari. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on what I said.
2: Well, I know you were looking for somebody to lock horns with you. And unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's not going to be me because, um, uh, you know, and I would have to reiterate what you said about, um, you know, the incredible amount of work that went into preparing that and also the the incredible work by the USGA to think through how this tournament was going to be played and what the challenges presented were going to be and and you know all the time that they had to study this. Um, I of course was only out there for a short period of time and but but you know my thoughts on it are um, what if the rough wasn't maintained to that degree and what if the golf ball was allowed to travel little bit further into these amazing uh, Monterey cypress and Monterey pine trees, and the uh, opportunities that might present for shot make to, to watch shot making ability, trajectory control. Um, you know, can can somebody hit a incredible hard draw to get around a tree or a cut shot to get get out of uh, trouble and then what kind of um, trajectory control might they need to get over some of these high-faced bunkers? Yeah. You know, the the bunkers really weren't that much of a challenge for, for the ladies. I don't know if you noticed that mm. or not, but uh, the sand is pretty granular and uh, the high-flashed faces just made the ball roll down to the bottom. And so they, they really didn't present that big of a challenge uh, to get out of mm.
1: And well but, so just to get into but, them as well with the rough around the bunker. <laughs> you you actually had to then. fly the ball into a bunker to get in one.
2: Yeah, but, but what if what if you had to hit a trajectory shot uh under a, a tree limb and clear the bunker? Then then what mm. does that do? So so I think there's there are more creative ways to make a golf course difficult than to to grow the rough up and um so I I'm sorry I can't lock horns <laughs> with
0: you on that. <laughs>
2: but but at the same time I I agree with you you know there there was a lot of thought gone in that went into it ahead of time and and I give those people credit for yeah. For as, doing that too, so we players, just have a difference of opinion.
0: Yeah, as with the players, they're answering the questions they've been asked to answer, aren't they? The people get mixed up when you talk about the distance problem in golf for the elite players, and that somehow you're criticising the players. You're not. They're using the tools of album to answer the questions asked. The setup crew are ans- are doing what they've been asked to do. they said, and they're doing a brilliant job of setting the course up the way they've been asked to. The bigger question is: is that the right way necessarily to set up the course? And I think the Big point about that, as like well, there's some golf, as you've pointed out, some golf questions internally to think about whether the game would be more interesting. But the broader thing is if you're a non-golfer and you turned on the 76th US Women's Open from Olympic Club, you would see a place that has far too much of the hand of man really being involved in a massive scale. Piece of land. It's not a good look for golf. It's a terrible my, look for golf. It makes and it very easy to campaign against golf. There's
1: all these points, that. and we could debate forever about the playability of that's it. That's right. And I disagree with the mowing line. I think the mowing line it should be a lot wider. And, and Garrett Morrison posted a great photo of overhead of Olympic in 1930s where it was just, mm. it was very wide and. Well, less trees and. looked like really great strategy and looked very interesting. But, um, and now it's all very narrow and that's.
0: That's. Constricted is the word you're looking for. And claustrophobic.
1: Yeah. I, 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 Feel like that's an interesting thing sometimes, but it's a experiment that's been played out now in professional golf for 30, 40 years. And, uh, I'm a bit over it now. I think it's time to change to try something different. But the, those playability things aside, it's the, it's this isn't sustainable. And this expectation that other courses now have to have rough, uh, manicured rough. And, you know, they start to look at, can we put an extra line of irrigation in to, so we can throw water in, under the trees? And, you know, all those places where we've never been able to grow grass before, now we want to grow grass. That, that's the, the thing I've got a problem with.
0: Both within golf and without, Kari. And you would, I no doubt, come across this as an architect talking to existing golf courses and those who run them and what they want from their golf course for they got what they think is the marketable product to get golfers to buy in. Is very much influenced by what we say on television, isn't it?
2: I, I think it can be. I think uh, I, I, me myself, I'm I'm a bit of a maybe counterculture th- thinker, so uh, maybe I don't buy into everything I see on TV mm. or here. And I, I think there are people that that own golf courses or that are on greens committees that that can think for themselves and and see whether or not something is sustainable or unsustainable and and uh, are forward thinking and visionary. So yeah. sometimes I think that that what we see on TV does influence probably the layperson, but I think the uh, professionals that are really thinking about these things are maybe thinking about a different vision yeah. for the future
0: as much as it's as much as it doesn't do us any favors in the non-golf community, sometimes I don't think it does as it, does much of a favor within the golf community. Golfers themselves aren't, as a rule, very educated about this stuff. Lots and lots and lots and lots of golfers that I'm sure we all know are far more taken with the condition of a golf course than the interest of its design and playability. And you could take them to two. You could take them to Royal Melbourne, looking like it did for the 2019 Presidents Cup, and a course down the road that was manicured magnificently and looked extraordinary in terms of the condition and they would pick the one down the road every time. And that's there's something about that that misses the point from within golf. In many ways, the problems within golf are our biggest barrier, those, you know, the education of golfers and what golfers themselves demand and desire. One of the reasons that resort course and those high-end daily fee courses spend so much on maintenance is because that's what golfers want to buy and they've got that from somewhere. And that somewhere <laughs> tends to be quite often <laughs> television. Mm. And each week we hear pros talk up. Oh, the condition of this course is amazing. I haven't had a bad lie all week. And Mike mm. Clayton said this on this podcast many times. He's been a member at Metro here in Melbourne, which is maybe the best condition golf course I've ever walked on. I was afraid to walk on the fairways, let alone take a divot as he hasn't had a bad lie in 40 years. And then he pauses and says, <laughs> the question is, is that a good thing? Mm. Although they do have proper rough. Metro, they do. If, no. Well, of course, Clay missed a Mr. Fairway in 40 years, which has <laughs> helped in right. that endeavour for him. But there's a real truth to that, isn't there, Kerry? These bigger concepts about golf and what it can and should be is wrong. Golf should be whatever people want it to be for them. But within golf, I feel like we don't do ourselves any favours with what golfers demand.
2: Well, I, I think that would be true, yes, to, to some degree. Um, the, the The surfaces that we play on, I think, Need to be uh, maintained, you know, uh, really um, playable. Mm. So, so there there's areas of the golf course I think that that we really do have to pay close attention to from a, a maintenance perspective and a design perspective, etc. But the out of play areas, um, I mean, we can create incredible contrast in color mm. and memorability for for golf courses uh, based on things that. Don't even involve the playing
0: surfaces. Yep, Not to mention ecosystems, Kari. Wildlife and habitat for for animal and plant life. And then golf courses can play a legitimate role in in encouraging diversity of species within communities and suburbs. And we don't sell any of that as golf. And golfers themselves, I don't think, necessarily pick about. Do you feel, a little bit like we were talking about with the gender equity question, do you feel we're slowly moving in a direction that's positive with this stuff within golf?
2: I think we've seen a trickle. Uh, uh, however, uh, the, the truth will really be told when when we actually see some golf courses that are uh, designed as well for women to play as they are for the, for the guys to play.
0: Are there any examples yet? Have you been anywhere where that's true yet?
2: Mm, some of the resort courses um, play pretty well, but, you know, then again, they, they have to because they, they need a, a good design for everybody that plays it so that they can encourage the returning customer.
0: And how much of that is just opinion? But well, you might think it's not particularly good for women players and somebody else might think that it is. How much of that is opinion and how much can we actually say realistically? Yes, this is, this is better for women and shorter hitters. Well, assuming women are the shortest, good Lord, Lexi Thompson would hit it 40 yards past you and I. So that immediately shows how foolish that is, just as a notion. But do you, do you know what I'm getting at there? How much of that is just based on opinion and how much is based on sort of well thought out, uh, and perhaps not provable, but, but you can make a compelling case for. Well,
2: I I think golf course architecture is, a, a more complicated, um, profession than most people give it credit for. And, um, I think, you know, the right people to ask. I, I think, you know, uh, one of my blog articles was, you know, asking the right questions of the right people. And I think the right people to ask whether or not a course is, is playable for the for the shorter hitter might not just be the layperson that's playing it, but it might be uh, the architects that can really examine the, the playability of those uh, golf features. Hmm.
1: It's puzzling how some of the courses that have been uh, sort of touched up the least are the most playable for most golfers, like the old course mm. or, or North Berwick. Uh, uh, unplayable during open week most of, f- for most of the public. True. Uh, but most of most of the sand belt. Um, mm. The ball tends to – you get firm fairways. The ball tends to run out a little bit. That actually helps yep. people. I, I find I can – like I've, I've completely cold top. Approach shots on on the sand belt, which have run up next to the pin, because uh, you know everything's firm and fast. Because
0: and you're a, you're an experienced topper and you know exactly how to <laughs> exactly miss it just the right way. Well, you you
1: can chunk a shot there and it'll run out as well. Like it, it's easier for people hitting less precise shots when the course is firm. You can mm-hmm. it can go cool. either way, but uh, the, the it gives you a chance and and you see that in Scotland and you see that in the sand belt. And these are courses where It hasn't been, um, there's been less done and the outcome is, is more, uh, interesting for all levels of players. Um, and I I find that fascinating that the the more, the more you tend to interfere with a course. Um, Colin Chris, a guest we had on said the moment you start doing any architecture at all, you're taking away choices from the player. And I I thought that was a fascinating take on it.
0: Uh, Logue's got this other saying that he likes curry, which is, you know, take a photo of a golf course, pretty much any golf course anywhere, and generally speaking, you could remove 10 things from that photo and improve the golf. (laughs) It's it's an interesting notion, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Are they all trees? <laughs> um, trees of
0: course. Them. Furniture, paths, Shrub, paths, maintain <laughs> plants on golf courses, shrubs and hedges which are clipped and no, shaped, and just, the time I'm invested in that. I'm with them on that. that. I'm with them on that for sure. Hedges, gardens, concrete <laughs> paths, anything that's got concrete in it on a golf course, just <laughs> or asphalt makes no real sense. Overly elaborate tea markers and yep. Congaree will be interesting this week. It's all it's. It's a funny mix of a, a Fazio course that sort of tries to replicate the Sandbelt in look and gets a lot of things right in terms of they don't have yard they don't have tee markers and yardage. There's a little plaque on the tee that says it's you know whatever the distance of the hole is and that sort of stuff. And it's built on a fabulous foundation of um charity and sharing the game, congregate. But it'll be interesting to see how the pros go there because it's sort of this, it's almost a faux idea of some of the things we're talking about as opposed to. So it'll be interesting to see yeah. what. I'm sure the PGA Tour will manage to make it so homogenous that
1: it's yeah. incredibly unwatchable. But
0: Either that see. or or they'll do what happened with Trinity Forest, which was a genuinely interesting golf course and interesting to watch the golf on, but the players didn't like it, and so they left. Mm. They no longer play there. So, you, it's what happens when you put the lunatics in charge of the asylum. Um, you know, they just said, that's, that's it. They it's couldn't They couldn't figure out how to play the golf course, so the tour doesn't play the golf course anymore. Mm. Well, they probably couldn't ship in the sands that they're used to every (laughs) week. Well, here's the interesting thing. I asked Tom Doak this question, Kari. Interesting that you mentioned his name. If you built Augusta National this year and held a tournament there in two years' time, what would be the response of the PGA Tour? I hadn't even finished the question, and he said to me, not a chance. Hmm. They would play it once, and they would never go back and the players would say the greens are ridiculous, it's like a fairground ride, put your coin in the slot. and He said there's no way the players would put up with Augusta National if you built it. The only reason that they have any sort of respect for it is because it's where the Masters has played and they've been grown up being told that that's where we're at. And I think there's quite a bit of truth to that. I had one tour player tell me once, pointed to a tennis court. We were talking about golf course architecture and what makes courses interesting. He pointed to a tennis court and he said to me, that could be an interesting green if you just make it fast enough. That was his take on greens and what interesting golf was about. I'll tell you who it is after we hmm. turn off the microphone. Okay. I had exactly that face. I don't know what face to pull here, um, but there you go. And that dictates so much of what trickles down in golf. That the influence of professional golf is so overblown into in relation to its actual. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, we're too focused on it here. Like, I, oh, without you doubt. know. Of course, I play every week's pretty short,
1: but I was hitting you know five woods into most of the greens on the weekend. You know, like. But what were the one it, and two markers hitting? Uh, long irons, like it's <laughs> the the court. Oh, look, it's for most of us, and like it's ninety nine point nine nine percent golfers, still the challenge that it always was. Oh, of course, um, and and at every club there are the odd player who who blasts it the length of the pr- the length the pros hit it but less accurate so you know, accurate. um which is obviously a very dangerous situation and very hard to architect around but um you know for most of us we we are so focused on we protocol. have
0: to architect around it because you can't change the equipment no, that's it's right. an absurd position to take. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ruining the game. It's raining disaster down. On the we won't get you involved in all that, Kari. I won't ask you to buy into uh, that discussion, though. I'm sure that you must have some thoughts on it. We're going to let you go now. It's been fabulous of you to take some time to chat to us. I've really enjoyed it. Will you come back? We need to get more often more architecture and more women into this podcast. So you've ticked two boxes there. We're on a box ticking exercise. Will you come back and talk to us occasionally?
2: I'd be happy to.
0: Yeah, we'd love to have you. Thanks for taking some time today. It's been great.
2: Thank you. Thanks for
0: inviting me. And thank you, Logue. Always a joy to chat to you. I think you're in your element today. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed
1: this chat. It's a shame. i carried a few things off my you. chest.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: That's, um, you know, but yeah. I
0: like the idea just... of terms and conditions. I might start with okay. some terms and conditions <laughs> before I start asking <laughs> questions in some of my other interviews. I think that's a, yeah. a, a fabulous idea that uh, could take off. Episode 79 of Good Good Done and Dusted. Next week, back with 80. That's a bad number in golf, isn't it? 80, but episode 80. Eight, eight's a lucky number. Is it? Yeah. Eight and three, I think, actually. Yeah. Three is looking number Episode 80 next week. Hopefully, that'll be uh, lucky for us. Hopefully, it'll be lucky for you, and hope you can join us then on the good, good golf podcast.